Hi, uh, this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of companies, the beginnings of trends, of careers, of uh, new science, and even sometimes a little peek at the future. And I'm here today with one of uh, um, our really most interesting uh, portfolio company CEOs, Jared Feldman. Uh, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. You know, one of the interesting things here, just to kind of get right into it, is we met you a number of years ago. We looked at the company, you looked at us, and we said, no, <laughs> we didn't invest in you. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I think it took a couple of times, actually. Yeah, and and I use it as an example now because, uh, and I'm happy even if you're curious about it to talk about why we hesitated. But then you began doing what I call laying pipe. I mean, uh, when we met the first time, maybe even the second time, you told us about what was going to happen. We were like, yeah, maybe. And then you did it in every just for doing everything, and we realized pretty quickly that we had made. Uh, uh, a pretty fundamental error. And uh, as, as I kind of recall, I came in on bended knee and said, please let us in, we can be helpful. And and things have gone great from there. So why did you let us in? <laughs> I, would be, I would be curious to hear about the spirit of the rejections, but you know, as an, as an entrepreneur, you, you sort of know is the standard. Most investors are, are, are non-investors, really. Your job is to say no to things. And so um, almost always it's about timing or just lack of evidence. And, and, and it's, it's your job as the entrepreneur to do exactly as you said, do what you say you're going to do. This is like the most uh, important skill and instinct to refine uh, essentially is to uh, be able to see what's going to happen next and have the executional chops to, uh, to move on it. And that's, that effectively is most of the job, right? The idea part is the easy part. Uh, but making it right. happen and being resourceful and creative enough to uh, push a whole organization towards that end. And then to make it obvious to investors, right? There's a sort of obviousness spectrum that different investors fall on. So, you know, for uh, a multi-time founder that uh, can come to you with an idea on a napkin, you might fund it right away because you already believe in the executional ability. But for a first-time founder like myself, it, it, it likely required a little bit more proof points. And so... Um, you know, for, for me, it's important to not take it personally, to figure out sort of not in the, in the moment how you feel, but in the next five years, how you want to feel. And can this person be a good partner for you? And so the reason why I came back to you again and again is because I was certain that you would be a good partner. And so uh, persistence pays off in that way. I think so on both sides. And, and you pretty much nailed it. I mean, when we first met you, we thought, my God, what a fabulous idea. And then when we thought about it a little, and we can talk maybe in a minute about just what it is you do so folks know. And then we thought a, a little more deeply about it. And our reaction was, oh, heavens, it's something that's never been done before. For a group of folks we know, because we have media backgrounds who aren't like really big on change. And uh, and then they're going to have to uh, uh, alter processes. And it's going to be kind of heavy lifting and tough. And and when we first met you, you presented very young. I joke, you're like the father of the guy we met a couple of years ago. <laughs> you, you seem so much uh, to have grown so much in the job. And we worry that uh, that's going to be hard, that it's going to be one of the, it could be one of those things sure. that 
ought to work, could work, but they're just not ready to accept it. They're just not ready to use it. Tremendous amount of stump pulling and uh, tough raises. And then much to our amazement, you just began knocking it down. You hired that really good initial CFO and you know he's hiring people more experienced and uh, stronger than him. And uh, uh, every, you know, it was just working. And uh, and the other concern we had is the one we talked about when we were coming in here is that uh, uh, media companies, which is where you started, and uh, are uh, have their own problems. Yeah. And yeah. as insiders, we felt early some of those issues that have come forward, and uh, we felt it was going to take kind of a gourmet company development approach here to not get trapped in being you're the biggest thing for a group of companies that are all slowly going away. And what are you going to do except slowly go away with them? Right. And uh, and more recently, uh, we've seen you begin uh, uh, responding uh, to that, which is what we began to realize you, uh, you brought to the table that made you to us special and caused us to feel like we got to support this guy because he's going to win. So maybe because we sort of walked into the middle of the telenovela without explaining sure. the book, uh, do the first aid stuff. What does Canvas do now? What did it do before? And um, why is this what you committed yourself to and all? Yeah, well, look, the, the, our mission here fundamentally is to, is to try to make the world more empathetic. And we're, we're building technology to advance how we understand human emotion and sort of get underneath the, the psychological underpinnings of consumer behavior, which is, which is how we feel as, as people. And so what we did is we created technology that can digest the seemingly unlimited amounts of text that's available to brands and organizations, either things that are happening publicly on social media like Twitter and Facebook, or more recently via surveys and the open-ended survey responses and have just the most accurate, immediate read of, despite modern dialogue, despite all the crazy ways in which we talk, uh, pinpoint how passionate the user is and how much love they feel and uh, what's resonating topically and why. Uh, and to do so in an insights first experience that, uh, that champions the, the researcher and champions the folks that are uh, every day being asked to understand why people are behaving the way that they are. And so the Canvas application uh, is built on a, uh, a platform that can ingest any text and output accurate reads of uh, consumer emotional response. And so the AI we've built learns every day and is purpose built for modern dialogue. This is what we do differently than other folks. Uh, all the non-traditional language that exists from my generation, like millennials and Gen Z, it's none of us speak properly, uh, period. But, you know, certainly on the Internet, certainly when we respond to surveys, if we do. Uh, now, th this manifestation of our mission is is newer, right? The, the uh, uh, I believe, deeply in focus. And this sort of can run contradicting to what you just described, which is going so deep on a particular industry, and that industry dealing with market conditions, nothing to do with you, um, can be rather dangerous. Right. Uh, and so what we managed to do quickly, though, is identify that, well, one, we wanted to prove out that this platform and how strong and robust it was and how meaningful it is to know 
not just how people feel, but why they feel that way in an immediate and precise way. Well, that could be applied to uh, uh, an industry like media where people are talking about it to the tune of billions of signals each year, and we needed no one's permission to do it. Uh, and I like situations where we have to automate an already established business practice. We look for sort of how technology and AI can disrupt things that are done manually, but that are critical to the success of a business. So, you know, a company like NBC has a show like This Is Us, and the next morning they want to know, how did I do last night, right? Which is super reasonable. And they know their operational data. They know how many people watch the show, right? That's critical to how they make money. But in terms of why it happened, there was this giant hole, right? Is it because people were crying and really sort of uh, upset about the, the new the new storyline? Right. Or uh, were they disengaged? Or are they caring less? How passionate are they? And it turned out that we could show that with an accurate read of emotion, you actually can know what's going to happen next. You're going to know how many viewership uh, view, uh, views you're going to have the following week. You're going to know how successful you might be in your upfront conversations. Uh, and, and, and largely, you're going to understand why your audience is behaving the way that it is. Uh, and that became a really uh, powerful white space for us to attack and to do it with focus and to co-develop with the customers. And at the time, because we saw a very large industry that had a very important problem, not being, uh, not leveraging technology, it was largely sort of manual coding of tweets or sort of this gross sort of uh, rejection of binary sentiment tools and positive right. and negative scores. And it may be worth noting there, to give folks a right idea, there were a lot of folks then and now who said, thumbs up, thumbs down. You're feeling positive, you're feeling negative. And one of the things right from the beginning that struck us about yours is you're talking about the full range of yeah, emotion it, it here. Just, it, it, it boggled my mind that there's this sort of oversimplification of this nuance of emotion where literally every tool available was green and red, positive and negative scoring of, 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 of these sort of fragments of text happening in sort of short form, real time uh, senses. And they were just rejected by researchers. They weren't useful. And so there was this trade-off between immediacy and precision. And it's still true. There's this sort of, you can immediately have a positive negative score that you can't use. Because if you're like, I freaking hate that King Joffrey on Game of Thrones, right? Uh, right. Then you're supposed to hate him. That's not negative. Right. Uh, or you can be super precise and sit there and have sentiment interns sit around the table over at NBC, which they have, literally coding all of the tweets about This Is Us to make sure that they clearly understand what was going on there. Uh, and we didn't think that that should be a trade-off. And we thought about basically through this co-development process where we don't build anything without the customer sitting there and confirming every assumption, uh, which is another sort of piece of how we think about this. Uh, the co-development process led us to believe that there was two major issues with sentiment analysis that was widely available. The first was this oversimplification of positive and negative scores. And the second was none of it dealt with sort of unnatural language the way that we saw it. Like when you're like, I can't freaking stand how much I love this show. And it's a very complicated piece of text. Or if you're like, great, and then an angry face. 
And there's all this complicated stuff that we do. And so we had to create our own ground truth. There was no off-the-shelf library or academic sort of research that dealt with these types of problems in NLP. And so we did the hard work of starting to build up our own ontology, which started as a couple thousand inputs and now today stands at over a trillion expressions. And it grows every single day and it's trained off billions of records across every subject matter. It is the most comprehensive understanding of modern dialogue that exists. And it stemmed from these customers saying, this is super critical and we don't use technology for these reasons. Right. And there's the explicit reasons and the implicit reasons. But that was the start, was basically helping these content creators understand why people were tuning in or not as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as the vehicle being essentially how, how is the audience actually feeling? What percentage of them were laughing or upset or disinterested? We have 42 different core emotions as compared to the, the two or three that right. you typically see. Uh, and that sort of, that helped us have a different type of dialogue with the industry that was very stuck in doing something that they didn't want to do manually that could be helped with technology. So when we did invest, we saw that scaling. You identified the problem, you'd addressed it extremely effectively. And we were shocked by how many cable companies, producers, studios, signed up to this right away and actually started using it and actually started uh, changing the way they produced or approved scripts or tested ads or all kinds of things. And it was very impressive. But what was even more impressive to us was how early you recognized the limitations of what you'd achieve with that group. So you brought up surveys. And I'd like to talk about that now. So why surveys? Why is that so important. Why not just, uh, you get invited to all kinds of good dinners and uh, get to go to the Grammys and all that kind of stuff and uh, uh, doing what you're doing. Uh, why not just do it? Why go to an entirely different use case uh, for think, the technology? I think that this sort of, for every entrepreneur is all about the why, like why you're doing this. This is so hard. It's so hard to build something that didn't exist before. And Create like everything the second that it that it's created just in life. This is a little bit morbid, but like begins dying at that moment. And people that are putting things into the universe uh, need to understand like how just difficult it is and how long of a haul it is. And for Can that, we pause there for a second. Did you realize that when you started this? Uh, subconsciously, yes. I don't know if I could have articulated it in this way, but clearly, you know. You know, after this long journey, it's obvious to me why I'm still excited to, to get up in the morning. It took a couple of years to be able to articulate this empathy point and this right. sort of why it's so fascinating and important to me that we do this and do this for every organization that exists, not just the companies that we're currently engaged with. Uh, and that combined with this constant questioning of assumptions is how we're here today. So talk about that. So when you say constant questioning of assumptions, you go off and you, you know, go into the lotus position and you chant your mantra and you have long thoughts or you get everybody in a room and you scribble. I mean, what does that mean to you and what does that mean to the organization here? In, in practice, we, we, we encourage everybody here to act like a five-year-old. And by that, we mean literally ask why to everything. 
So if I come up to you and I say, that button needs to be green, you should say why. And if I don't have a compelling reason for that, then that's like not a good use of our exchange. We shouldn't be doing that per se. And so the, the why question, and the, basically in software development, which is a lot of what I know you're invested in and, and uh, what we've done here, AI and technology, it, um, coding and development is the most expensive thing that you can do. It's expensive from a resource standpoint, the salaries of the people that have to do it. It's expensive from a commitment standpoint because then you have to build it and then it, it's not right. You have to refine it and that takes a long time. And everything we're talking about has to do with market conditions because most entrepreneurs don't understand and I didn't understand when I started that like most of the success of your company has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what's happening right. in the market you're serving. Right. And so you can have the best team and the best product and the best resources, but if, if you haven't zeroed in on the actual problem to be solved and why you deserve to exist in that crowded landscape, then it's, it's, just, it's not going to work. And so the questioning of every assumption thing is essentially, well, there's this dichotomy because you have to believe deeply and, and feel super confident that what you're doing is correct, even in the absence of fact. That's what faith is, right? We don't have the actual evidence in front of you, but you have to believe it to be true because there's power in the tongue, right? That's important. When you're alone at night and it's four o'clock in the morning and you're trying to power through for a big meeting, like that the belief gets you through. But then conversely, to be able to say, am I right? Is this, is this, is this, is this correct? And so with, with one of the things that helps us think about this is that every MVP, every minimum viable product that we do is a piece of paper. Uh, we don't build anything uh, until it's been validated by the market. And so the reason why I was so confident coming back to you over and over again and saying this is going to happen was not because of, you know, I chanted mantras in some foreign place, but because was getting the constant confirmation and not just confirmation, but literally hands in pockets like willing to pay for this. And that's how we've approached every problem and how we've approached surveys, which is to say that like, you know, if you if we did this interview two years ago, I wouldn't have I would not have thought surveys is the future of our business. But what kept happening was customers would say, you know how you helped us with that social problem four years ago with your approach and your thinking about how to sort of help us get to value quicker. Well, we spend hours, if not days, on this open-ended survey problem. Right. And then could you apply this? And we say, well, yeah, we can try it. And, and these know, are the verbatims that are in the verbatim. So every survey that anyone does, there's a $40 billion a year market research industry and a $5 billion a year or so customer experience industry. And there's a 30 plus billion dollar a year employee engagement retention industry, all of whom run surveys. This is like the most common way that we understand why people behave the way they do is we ask them. It's old and archaic and been around forever, but this is this is the this is the truth of the market. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, when I was when I was first starting camps, I would have bet surveys would have been over by now. It was very naive that it was like you know Procter and Gamble has been pronouncing the the death of surveys every year for almost the last ten years, and they spend tens of millions of dollars a quarter on surveys still. So the point is, is like we're watching and observing carefully. Our customers do these surveys where they say, Mike. Uh, um, here's a here's a pilot episode of my new show. On a scale of one through five, how was it? Five being the best. Maybe you say four. That's called a close end. 
And those analysis on closed end is very simple, right? You run a pivot table with what percentage yeah. of people that look like Mike Market for. It doesn't give you an individual truth, it gives you a statistical truth. Exactly. Yeah. Now every closed end is often paired with an open end where you get to say why. And maybe you say, well, it was pretty cool, I liked it. Or maybe you say, holy effing crap, this is unbelievable. And the difference between those two drives business. <clears throat> it literally will change how much marketing dollars or whether even the show is greenlit. Right. And this is how we thought about it, is that the social opportunity. The social opportunity. The social opportunity is all about optimizations, right? The trailer comes out, people are talking about it. Now you need to know how to optimize where you spend, how you spend. But the show's already made, right? There's half of your budget, hundreds of millions of dollars in the movie's right. standpoint. Uh, it's already spent. And so there's all these sort of upper funnel decisions that are really, really important in that they equate to lots of dollars being spent. And there are these closed ends, like how likely is Mike to watch this show or see this movie? But the open ends, it turns out the more passionate you are about something, the more likely you are to take an action. The folks over at NBC, they, they love saying this quote that uh, uh, no one wants to go on a date that's just interesting. Right. You take, you take out a, a date and you, know, you come back and we're catching up and you say, oh, that was interesting, yeah. right? Versus like, oh my God, I'm in love. Right? The difference dictates how you're going to behave next. And so this was the challenge that was presented to us by Amazon and by NBC, who we were already working with on the social side doing optimizations. And they're like, we're thinking about greenlighting this couple hundred million dollar movie. Or uh, we, we have 30 pilots we're testing. We can only put on air five. How do we know exactly how people are feeling? And they were, they were literally... Uh, over at NBC, they had two humans spend eight-hour days, so 16 hours collectively, what's called hand-coding open-ended survey responses. Literally being like, here's what Mike meant when he said that. Here's what Jared meant when he said yeah. that. And so we took a shot at it. We started sort of, it was a couple-month process where they would email us Excel files with their, with our survey results, and we would run it through our system manually, and they would see the results and be like, Okay, that's really interesting, but but you would need to include the filters. You need to be able to tell me how just men that look like Mike feel. And, and, and it got to a point where we could see that there was excitement where we said, okay, you have to commit. Because this is an assumption, right? Every client ever will ask you for things. Right. The moment of truth comes when you say, okay, pay for it. Yeah. And boy, was that moment of truth clear. We had multiple customers buy this surveys product before it even existed. Right. And so we thought, wow, we're on to something. Now at the same time, as you noted, the media industry is going through a crazy, crazy revolution. Nothing short of it. Yeah. The, the, the creators have all the powers. There's, there's um, thousands of OTT providers you can right. go to. There's tens of billions of dollars this year being spent on original content from people that didn't spend anything on original right. content five years ago. And all of a sudden, we're seeing our client makeup shift. We were dealing with traditional networks. And now one of our biggest partners is Facebook, yeah. right? And Netflix and Hulu and all of these guys that sort of wouldn't be a customer right. five years ago. And our belief is that increasingly your customers will be uh, uh, creators of goods and merchants. We're seeing, apart from you, enormous correlation 
between the perception of someone who makes and sells products as a storyteller yeah. and the perception of them as a merchant. Yeah. So a business that used to be largely uh, denominated by inventory is now increasingly being denominated by legend. We're in this together and we're part of this ongoing creation of myth around the glasses, around the shirts, around the shoes, around whatever. And that we're saying at the fund that the merchant prince and the media mogul of this century, one person, same person. Every, every single brand has to focus on experiences, the experience that they're creating, every single brand. And if not, they're in a race to the bottom. It's happening in every single industry. And core to that is your experiential data. Every brand ever that's successful has operational data. They already know how, many, how, how much sales they do, uh, uh, the key KPIs for their business. But in terms of why they're happening, there's this really critical experiential information. The consumer, the, the employee, the, 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 the advocates, how are they experiencing what you're putting out? And is it of that caliber? So that it differentiates you amongst a very, very crowded space in every single category. Yeah. And that's uh, at the same time as this sort of media uh, evolution, we'll call it, uh, is happening where we're dealing with more and more different types of creators and sort of morphing sort of the offering across media and publishing to support them. The surveys product, while absolutely beginning to enable more empathy across those types of organizations and their surveys, we've got some amazing CPG brands and automotive and uh, political polling companies and pharmaceuticals even, that are sp spending so much time and resources on surveying stakeholders, consumers, and, and uh, leaving the open ends on the table, basically. Yeah. Sometimes they avoid them altogether because of the, just the administrative and cognitive burden. But every brand not focusing on their experience is in a race to the bottom. And so that's where we come in, that AI-powered consumer insights is applicable to helping all of these organizations become more empathetic and really understand the experience of the consumer. And we are an insights company. This is, a, this is an important distinction that we made many years ago and we've been, we've been uh, disciplined about. We don't do targeting. We're not, we're not a data company. We're not just trying to give you another sort of uh, data point amongst your million other data points. What can we help you learn? The insights is really the, the shortest path between the data point and the actual action that you can take. What's the story there? That's what the insight is. And so can Canvas in plain language, for example, say that people that look like Mike are five times more likely to talk about you know, their watches than as compared to you know, people that don't, right? How can we just tell you that information? Because honestly, researchers, these folks don't need another dashboard. Right. They don't want that. They want to you know, focus on, on, on on their own superpower, which is which is insights creation and storytelling and helping their organizations make evidence-based decisions or recommendations based on this data. Uh, and so it's a whole new data, data set with an AI-first approach for uh, an industry and research CX and employee engagement that are leaving all of the open-ended responses on the table. And so very quickly, we've built this system. We just released our V3 of the surveys product uh, last week 
who are a year in market, and we're seeing enormous uptick, not just in media and publishing, but also in non-media, which is really exciting. You've been at this a while now, several years. You're the father of the guy, the young man we met when we first got here. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, So three years from now, five years from now, what's Canvas? What are you? Yeah, it's it's actually pretty simple. I mean, we're laser focused on our mission of, of trying to make the world more empathetic. And we've got this sense that our platform ultimately can be the Bloomberg terminal, if you will, of consumer emotional response. Just the trusted measure at in, in every tool belt when you want to understand why people are behaving the way that they are. You need insight into the underpinnings of consumer behavior. Whether that data is collected publicly, that people are sharing it in tweets and social commentary, or you're uploading it via your surveys or other means, in that that data set allows us to help you understand what's going to happen next. We see this as like a giant oracle where you can just ask Canvas anything about why things are happening and ultimately understand this is the most predictive data set you can have. 90% of your decisions today were driven by how you felt, by your emotions, by your subconscious. And so this accurate representation of how Mike Edelhart feels is the best understanding, our best sort of foundational ground truth for what's going to happen next. And so ultimately over time, we're hoping to ingest more data sets to have this sort of public understanding of consumer emotional response layered with private understanding uh, that you're sort of bringing to the platform and uh, introducing predictive measures so that you understand what's likely to happen next. Sounds outstanding. Uh, uh, Thanks. Uh, Thanks for everything you've done so far. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for the sharing. And uh, can't wait to see what happens next. Mm -hmm.